Hello, everyone. Welcome to Life on Earth podcast. I am your host, Natalie Kra. Today's episode is brought to you by Shanti Yoga Training School. We have a very special guest on the show, Colin Houdin. Colin is the founder of Living Tea. And as many of you know, my love for tea and tea practice and meditation with tea, well, Living Tea is where I get most of my teas from. I feel so honored to have Colin on today's show. There's so much to learn from Colin, as you will see on this episode. In today's episode, we'll explore tea ceremonies, mindful living, nature, meditation, the different types of teas, subtle body energies, and how you can start your own tea practice, and so much more. So we recorded this episode as part of Shanti Yoga Training School weekly lecture as calling as our guest teacher, guest presenter. This session was recorded via Zoom, so thank you for your patience for any potential technical setbacks, but we are looking good. So I think it'll be fine, but if there's anything that comes up or you can hear a little technical thing on the background, just know that that's how it happened. We had a group of people come together for the session, and now we're sharing it with you, and I'm super excited for you to get it. I encourage you to check out livingtea.net and also to join Colin's uh, Seasonal Tea Club. Living Tea Seasonal Tea Club is just amazing. You will get so much out of it. I'll include Colin's bio on our show notes. He also does acupuncture and works with Chinese medicine, as you will learn, as well as a link to his website, livingtea.net, where you can find not only different types of teas, but also amazing teaware, books, incense, his blog, and lots and lots to explore on the website. So check it out, livingtea.net. Living Tea Home is Telluride in Colorado. And soon there will be an amazing tea house where we can visit Living Tea and Colin, which you can help make this dream come true by purchasing a raffle ticket for a chance to win the entire Living Tea collection. Whoa, that's really a great deal, you guys. So check out under episodes, show notes, and find the link for the raffle. Enter the raffle. Help Colin build this amazing dream tea house in Telluride. Go visit when you can and enter for a chance to win the entire Living Tea collection. That's really cool. Follow Living Tea on Instagram for inspiration, daily inspiration for quotes, for pictures on tea, tea bowls, and all of that at Living Tea on Instagram. Love Life on Earth podcast? Subscribe to the show. So help us out and leave us a great review on Apple Podcasts. I so appreciate you. Share this episode with a friend you love and enhance their life by doing so. Lastly, but not least, have you gotten my book, Living Life in Light? Well, get it, you guys. There's so many inspirational things in the book. The book is now available at livinglifeandlight.com, as well as Barnes & Noble and Amazon. You can read the book from beginning to the end, or what I have been telling many people is to connect with your heart space, take a deep breath, see, ask for a message for the day, something that you need in your life or that you want to be inspired, flip the pages, lend on it. I've been using it like that myself. I have many friends who have been using it like that and readers who have reported back. It's just amazing how it's always on point the messages that I've been getting. Well, this is part of the offering and uh, what I created this book as a sort of talisman, something to really lighten up your life, your house, the space, wherever it is, and to bring a message to you. So I think it's working and check it out. Without further ado, enjoy this amazing conversation with Colin Huda. Welcome to Life on Earth, The Peace Project, a podcast that teaches you how to connect with the divine and transform darkness into light through topics from yoga to nature and ultimately love. 
Join your host, Natalie Kwa, to celebrate and encourage diversity, peace, and global equality, one earthling at a time. Thanks so much for showing up, everyone who's live on the call. And this is Mr. Colin Houdon, having the pleasure to host today. I'm super excited to have you, Colin. It's been a long time since I've wanted to talk to you in this kind of manner, educational, I should say. (laughs) If you want, maybe what we can do for the group, I know some of them might get out of the call a little early because they have kids to pick up or whatever. So, you know, too, there's some people that are not present, but they are going to get the call later. And this is part of our training school. At the end, if anyone has questions, maybe we can open it up like that. What do you think? Yeah, that sounds great. I'm open to any way you want to share this conversation. As you know, the world of tea or what we call chadao or chinoyu in Japan is an incredibly deep rabbit hole. I could talk for the next (laughs) two weeks straight, I think, on this particular topic because I would say that I, I probably border on obsession around tea. Well, first of all, I wanted to let you know, if we were on video, you would see, but there's a few of us here that get your teas. We kind of made a little plan to have a bowl of tea while we're having this. So I have uh, my bowl I, of tea. I, 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 I want you to know that if you could see me in the video, I am also <laughs> drinking some leaves in a bowl, which is one of the simplest brewing methods. So we're all on the same page there. So that's good. Yeah. Why don't we start with Colin, instead of me like saying something about you, who are you? Like, <laughs> you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. So my name is Colin Hudon, as most of you probably know. I started traveling. So growing up, I was always very fascinated by tea and read a lot of books. And I joke around for a couple of Christmases in a row when I was a teenager, I gave everybody in my family these curated tea boxes. And I would travel to a couple of different tea shops that are around Denver, Colorado, where I'm from, and give them out at Christmas. My parents and brother were like, what's with the fascination or what's with the obsession? Like, this is bizarre. I tried to study with a number of people around the United States through my 20s, in particular in San Francisco, and was finding that based on what I had read, I felt like there are much older traditions of tea and more formal lineages of tea that I wanted to discover. So about 10 years ago, I started traveling extensively in Asia. And the first trip I was over there for six months, initially my interest was to travel to Southwest China, which is the birthplace of all tea, because there are quite a few uh, forests of old growth trees. The oldest tree we have on record, which I haven't seen yet, but I hope to someday is 3,200 years old. Wow. Um, Yeah, which is just unbelievable. The oldest tree I've seen is 2,500 years old. So while traveling throughout Asia, 2009, I met a guy who taught Qigong and Tai Chi and tea ceremony on one of the islands in Thailand. After spending a couple of days with him, Wuda, who I know you've interviewed before. Yes. Wuda's a dear friend and tea brother and a teacher. So I traveled a bit more in different parts of Asia and then eventually went and stayed for a couple of months with Wuda at his home in Taiwan. Subsequent to that, I traveled with Wuda and one of his teachers throughout China, through Southwest China and Eastern China. If you hear strange noises in the background, (laughs) I have two puppies and they can be kind of noisy. So I spent some time traveling with Wuda and one of his teachers and some other friends from Malaysia and China. And then I moved back in 2010 to Southern California, to Venice, Los Angeles. And I opened a tea house there. And I travel usually about two months out of the year in Taiwan and China specifically, but also in Malaysia and and Laos and some other parts of Asia. I've really been focused on poor tea, which is, I call it a drinkable antique or the best kept secret of Asia because so many Westerners have never even heard of poor tea. And, you know, it's kind of been an interrelated relationship of studying Taoism and Zen Buddhism in particular, and Chan Buddhism in Southern China, and Cha Dao, which is the way of tea. And then I started school in 2010 for traditional Chinese medicine and spent six and a half years in school, got a doctorate in Chinese medicine. So that's like acupuncture and herbalism and Twina and all the different modalities associated with Chinese medicine. And then I practiced for a while in Los Angeles. 
and ultimately moved back to Colorado where I live now. You live um, in Telluride, right? I live in Telluride, which is a, a terrible place to live, as you know, because <laughs> you've been here. Yeah, so. yeah. I, I feel sorry for you. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's rough. It's just really tough. Yeah, so. yeah. So you're surrounded by nature, which to me, it's like such a beautiful thing, the connection between, maybe we can start there. Because I tell you a few things that I like to uh, visit with you and you can see what's more important. The connection of tea and nature, the importance of water. Also to speak about living tea, how does that differentiate from other teas that we drink? Because some people don't know. And then I have something like the importance of three bowls of tea, which I've heard you speak before in the beginning of the day. And I've heard Wuda speak about that and in silence. And then just maybe perhaps at the end, we can see how we can start a community. Like what are your uh, advice for those of us who live in different cities that we want to um, perhaps have some gatherings like that. But definitely the Chadao, I think that'd be a good way to start. What differentiates the living teas, which is really, you know, I'm a member of your tea club and as well as Global Tea Hut. And it's, it all comes from one same plant, right? One same tree. Yep. Camellia sinensis is the tree. And then there are a couple different varietals. So there's three varietals of Camellia sinensis. Well, first of all, that all sounds great. And we could, <laughs> okay. we could probably do a podcast series of about 20 sessions <laughs> on those topics alone. Like I said, you know, so many people in the West, when you say, when you start talking about tea, I forget because I've been so deeply involved in the study and practices associated with tea for so long, but I forget that for most Westerners, when you start sharing and encouraging people to explore it, they kind of look at you sideways and go, what is this guy on about? Because the West was introduced to tea through Europe. We could talk about that a bit. It's an interesting story how tea arrived in the West, but tea as a way of life and as a tradition and as a means of connecting with nature and studying nature and developing greater seasonal awareness and as a healing herb and a healing modality is something that's not understood and it's just starting to make its way into the Western consciousness. So I'm happy that you're interested in this. It's always really encouraging when I find other Western folks and maybe the people here are from different places, I imagine. So it's really a privilege, right? That we have access to this and that you're sharing this with us. So thank you. I wanted to learn more and it took me a number of years and a lot of real focused effort to both find good sources of real knowledge, but also to assimilate some of those teachings. It took me a number of years before I really understood what made tea a way. So we have this term chadao, the way of tea, and it took me a long time to understand what really made it a way. That might be a good place for us to start. Okay. And then we could jump into some of the other topics that you mentioned. So, and to answer your question, we're lucky. We say you have good tea karma if you come across a true living you have access to some of the deeper teachings that are quite old associated with tea. And like I said, they're not, it's not very common in the West. So it's just starting to seep its way into the cultural awareness that there's more to this than just leaves and water. It's a good thing that you're here because obviously I uh, think that there's incredible value associated with the way of tea or else I wouldn't have dedicated so much of my life to it. I guess the first two things I'll talk about is a little bit about how tea is related to the study of nature, our relationship to nature, and then maybe talk a little bit about the six values of what makes tea a way of life. Does that sound like a good place to start? Yes, I think that sounds like a great place to start. And one thing that I should say too, and and honestly, because, and I'm talking to the whole group right now that I might release this on the podcast and stuff. I'm just really excited about the people that are in this call and the people who are actually going to get the audio because you guys are leaders in your community. I would love to give you guys that are in this call and the ones that are going to get the recording, most are teachers and leaders in your community, so that we leave today having a tea practice or at least knowing where to begin and how to make this really practical. Does that make sense? Because that would be such a gift because one of the things that I find is like we get these teas and we follow you guys, but it's like, okay, what exactly do we do? And, you know, we're following a hard space and we're intuitive. Towards the end, I think we'll get to that and it will be really cool to have that solid advice from you. I'm certainly more than happy to share good ways to start a practice. And I'm actually starting to work on a video series 
introducing the idea of how to begin a tea practice, the kind of common stages that people go through, and the best way to develop a deeper cultivation and relationship to tea. A practice insinuates or connotes something that you do repeatedly, right? That's what makes it a practice is repetition and refinement over time. While with tea, you can learn a tremendous amount intuitively, there are reasons that connecting with a lineage allows you to develop deeper skill because we have thousands of years before us of people refining practices. So I certainly encourage people to explore tea on their own and they shouldn't feel overwhelmed by starting a tea practice even if it's just some simple leaves in a bowl. But it's also important to be mindful of the fact that there are numerous different brewing methodologies and different traditions associated with tea and that there's a lifetime there to explore, which some people would find daunting. They'd say, well, why would I want to get into studying something that you couldn't learn all of in a lifetime? I see it on another different perspective, which is tea is a gift that will continue to give you a curiosity an exploration, a practice, almost the more you learn, the more you realize how much more there is to learn and how wonderful it is to study because it's a really wonderful topic to study. I'd never gotten to a place in the last 10 years of really formally studying tea where I've said, I'm sick of this, or I think I've learned enough, or I'm maxed out. It's just, a, it's, it's, it seems to be a gift that keeps, keeps on giving. As the cliche. Yeah, not so, like a, a little checkbox, like, okay, I went to the square, check, done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's kinda also, like, you know. Kind of like yoga, you know? Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, exactly, right? I mean, even if you've been practicing yoga 20 years, you barely scratch yeah. the surface in some ways. And right? I'm saying so, that because many of us in this group can relate to that. Many of us are like, however many hours certified, but it's like, so what? There's, it's yeah. a lifetime. Yeah, absolutely. It's multiple lifetimes, I'd say. And the other side of tea is that it's really deeply steeped in Taoist thought, and it comes out of a Chinese worldview, which is cyclical in nature. Unlike uh, the Western worldview, which is really reductionist, scientific, and, and linear. And so the learning process with tea is cyclical, meaning you're building layers almost like layers of a cake, and they go in circles. So you learn the foundation and then the next layer and the next layer. And ostensibly, at times, you don't know what direction you're going, and that's because you're going in circles. <laughs> but, <laughs> but those those circles are, or you could say spirals, right? Like you're developing, um, you're building up a spiral of understanding as opposed to a linear study. And that's by design because... It's a little bit in Chinese, like learning Chinese medicine. A lot of my teachers from China, they would get a little bit annoyed from Western students who want to ask a direct question and get a direct answer because that's a way of learning from the mind. But Mm -hmm. it doesn't take into account the process of learning through trial and error and exploration and including yourself changing the process of learning. I just say that because I encourage people to be patient and realize that the process of learning about tea is slow and cyclical and it takes time. And it's experiential, a lot of it. So the first thing was the relationship to tea as a study of the natural world, a study of the seasons, and also a study of our relationship to the natural changes and phenomena of nature that happen around us and how tea can help us in that. And then the second part was to talk, I wanted to talk a little bit about what I call the six values of tea. And those are really good places to start. So tea has always been considered a shen tonic. And without going too deep into Chinese herbalism, the shen is uh, the spirit, they say, that inhabits the heart. And so you could think of it as, as your intuitive understanding. What's the term in yoga? Prajna, right? Like uh, wisdom that comes before knowledge. Yeah. So the Shen, the spirit of the Shen is what allows us to, it, it is our innate awareness. It's the awareness that comes before the gathering of information. Tea is a Shen tonic because it quiets the mind. And this is when we talk about tea, we're talking about good living tea. So from old growth trees grown from seed, a pristine biodiverse environment. So the old growth forests, that's what we're talking about here. Yeah, so um, I just want to point that I'm glad you said we're not really talking about going to the supermarket and buying those little teas that come on the bag, whatever, tea bag or any tea. Yeah. We're talking about yeah. specifically 
Colleen has his company, Living Tea. The website is livingtea.net. And then I also follow Global Tea Hut. Those are the teas we're talking about here. And those are very distinctly different than plantation teas or commercial commoditized teas that are all uniform and they're grown from grafted clippings on plantations. And some of those teas are organic, which is great because at least it's not destroying the earth. But those teas don't have the kind of potency and depth of a medicinal herb that I really seek out for living tea and like they do uh, at Global Tea Hut. So, you know, the qualities that define a living tea versus a, a dead tea is that it's seed propagated. They're grown in a biodiverse environment where the trees have plenty of room to grow, chemical free, of course, no irrigation, and that there's a healthy relationship between the people who either protect those forests or farm the trees in the way that they process the leaves. What we're really talking about is a medicinal herb that's grown in an organic, healthy environment. And there's an important term that we borrow from the world of wine called terroir that refers to the soil precipitation, elevation, sunshine, what other animals and plant species are in that environment, and the culture even of the people around there. So all of that informs the type of tea that we're talking about. It creates the macrocosm within which these teas grow. And then when we bring to that experience tea ceremony, special waters, harvested spring water, and these old brewing methodologies and special clay pots and mindfulness as a practice, then we're really elevating this very special medicinal herb to what I'm calling a shen tonic or a spirit tonic. And the reason it's called a shen tonic is for its ability to calm the mind and also to open the heart, to remove energetic stagnation in what in Chinese medicine we call the meridian system. In biomedical science, you could call the vascular system the flow of blood through the body, the flow of energy or chi or prana through the body, and also our ability to connect with nature by drinking these leaves and these old trees. So the combination of all that informs tea as a shen tonic. It's a different thing than, than a tea bag that you buy at the grocery store, and that's what most Westerners have been exposed to. I love that. Um, what you said is so true because you can feel that when you're doing what you just described. Yeah, I mean, you know, there have been countless times when I've brewed tea for a group of people in a tea ceremony, and one person or another who's really quiet and their mind is, is still, they'll drink the tea, and then afterwards they'll say, you know, as I was drinking this tea, I had these images, and they'll describe an area. And a lot of the teas that I carry, I've been to those old-growth forests or to those mountains, and consistently, 100% of the time, their experience described is consistent with the terroir or with the actual environment from which that tea came. So there's a communication here coming online that is at a deeper level. What I would say is that these trees, if you imagine a tree that's been living on the, in a, on the side of a mountain for 1,500 years, they're gathering sunlight, starlight, moonlight, birdsong, the mycelium in the soil. These old trees are like miniature ecosystems. So when you get in underneath the canopy and into around the trunk, you see lichen growing and mosses and a whole world of spiders and insects and other animals. And it's an incredibly biodiverse environment. And if that's been going on for 1,500 years through all four seasons, or what in Chinese medicine we say five seasons actually, going through the changes of the seasons, those trees through very deep root systems are gathering minerals and nutrients out of the soil and out of the earth. That's very deep because the roots are very deep as opposed to most of our food where the roots are quite shallow. Minerals in particular, they're gathering trace minerals and those minerals inform the way that chi, or if you want to use uh, Western scientific terms, the electromagnetic system of the body, the nervous system is running energy through our whole system. So they're drawing up trace minerals and then they're also gathering this starts to sound a little esoteric, but I think this group can probably at least not, at least yeah, humor. Not, not for us. Yeah, at, at least, least not. Okay, cool. we uh, we learn about the koshas, the nod. I mean, we're we got we have. Yeah, you're okay. Yeah. You're, you're down with all this. Cool. Yeah. So they're also gathering through the five seasons the changes in the air, the changes in climactic and atmospheric changes, and starlight, sunlight, moonlight, and then the tree is gathering all of that and concentrating it 
in what we say is the most young expression of the tree in terms of yin and yang in the leaves, the leaves and the buds, which are at the tips. Those are really a pure distillation of the gathering of all of that energy. And one saying that we have in our tradition is the leaf is the tree's expression of its relationship to its environment. Wow. So it's really, it's really gathering everything from the environment and then offering it into these leaves. And then through the processing of the leaves, where you could say we're putting the tree to sleep or putting the leaves to sleep. And then we bring them back to life with the five elements. So in particular, water and fire, which is where you are talking about yin and yang. Through water and fire, we bring the tree back to life and then we drink. And so that process sounds a whole lot, whether you're looking at the Taoist understanding or the European understanding of alchemy, what you're taking is a substance and you're refining it down to its, its most essential element. And then you're bringing it back to life uh, through the five elements. And so when we start talking about it in those terms, and I, do, I don't usually talk about tea in these kind of esoteric terms, but I think this group might appreciate it. What we're doing is at the heart of the Taoist practices. So that's Tai Chi, Qigong, Tao Yin, which is Taoist yoga, and Nadan, which is inner alchemy. And then you have Tai Chi, acupuncture, herbalism, all the Taoist arts. All of those are intended to harmonize an individual with nature. And at the highest expression, when somebody's achieved mastery in the Taoist tradition, they've harmonized back with nature. They've become one with with the Tao, they say. That's through a harmonization of the five elements and also harmonization of the different organs in our body and the chi in the blood being very healthy without energetic stagnation. That's at the core of tea as a way. So this way is, it leads us back into nature. It's one of the highest forms of communing with nature, I feel. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's, it, the, the Europeans commoditized it and bastardized it and commercialized it. They took something which was a very precious uh, medicinal herb and they turned it into a commodity and they fully oxidized it and made it very strong, strong uh, black, black or red tea. So that was very caffeinated. They lost all of the magic and all of the cultivation that goes into tea from the seed all the way to the cup. Which is unfortunate, but you know, there's some of us who are trying to bring it back to have a cultural renaissance for tea such that it can be revered and appreciated for what it's capable of. Yeah, I wanted to share for a moment that the first time it was like, I think maybe three years ago or something like that, that I tried the living teas. I was with Srimati and it, I was in Malta. And I remember her saying, We're going to have some tea. And I was like, oh, Okay, whatever. Like, I really couldn't really understand what was the whole big deal, you know, until we actually, <laughs> because I was, I mean, I thought it was cool, but I didn't quite understand, of course. So when we gathered and we were in this amazing retreat and my body, I guess, was pretty open from the yoga and all, everything else, the meditation, but we gathered in this beautiful tea ceremony setting with her and she brewed the living tea. I remember when I had my first bowl I think it was like after that bowl, my whole body was like uh, vibrating, you know, and like a really yeah. high frequency that I could feel that it was so, it was something I had never felt before. What I could explain is I really felt my heart chakra opening and I felt all the stagnation in my body releasing and something really deep communicating with me. Like it was almost like as if I was communicating with a tree. And I know this might sound kind of a little out there too, but it was literally how I was feeling. And to the point that I said, in my mind, I was thinking, "Is did she put something in this tea? Like what, what's going on? You know? <laughs> yeah. But I couldn't believe it. And then I kept having bowls and it was amazing. And then every single day, it had deeper and deeper, different change of chi, the vibration. But since then, it's just completely changed my life. I couldn't imagine yeah. not drinking the tea. I've heard various versions of that countless times, people receive things at the level to which they're able to. If you've done a decent amount of work on yourself and then you find real living tea, then it can be kind of a missing key in terms of self-cultivation. Because for a lot of folks who haven't done any meditation or anything, the first time they drink tea, especially in a ceremonial context, they realize that there's something missing in their life that they didn't realize was missing before. I kind of jokingly say it's a gateway drug to meditation. 
because of real living tea's ability to calm the mind in particular and open the heart. So, you know, eating from this practice. I think something that we talk about in our tradition is that we don't have this problem of a lack of mindfulness in our culture or presence. These, these words are used so, I think they're overused, frankly, because people use them without maybe really understanding what they mean by that. We don't lack mindfulness or presence as a practice in our culture. What we lack, for the most part, is reverence. That's because we have a throwaway culture. Even the products that we buy are made through manufactured obsolescence. So things break and we throw it out and we get a new one. A story we talk about in our lineage is would have a pair of shoes, like two pairs of shoes their whole life because they would constantly repair them and upkeep them. And there was something as simple and every day as a pair of shoes. It was something you still had kind of respect or reverence for. We don't have that for many things in our culture. We have a throwaway culture. Whereas with tea, there's something that happens when you're drinking tea from a thousand-year-old tree or even a 500-year-old tree or an aged tea where it seems to connect us with a sense of reverence or respect for the moment. And through that reverence, a natural mindfulness occurs. So for example, if I tell somebody during a tea ceremony, okay, this is a Qing Dynasty cup that you're drinking out of, all of a sudden they become very present to that cup because it's 350 years old. Mm -hmm. And so what happened there is the person became respectful or reverential of the moment and of what's happening. And if we live with more of that reverence for the everyday moments that we have, then we would naturally have a deeper connection both to ourselves, to other people, and to nature. And can you also maybe speak on one thing that was really beautiful, because we talk about meditation a lot, but also having a bowl of tea when you first awake in the morning in silence without your cell phones, without computers, <laughs> without anything. Yeah. It just yeah. adds this, like this morning ritual practice that just, it just all of a sudden shifted so many things in my life. Absolutely. So, you know, we have this practice. The first thing I do when I wake up in the morning is put a kettle on and instead a chashi. So a chashi is the tea stage, right? And that's where a tea ceremony takes place. You can study chashis in depth, especially in the Japanese tradition, because there's symbolism in, for example, ikibana, which is Japanese flower arrangement. That developed out of chabana, which is tea flower arrangement. And there's a whole philosophy there of it. We hear about wabi-sabi and the idea of asymmetry and having one element out of place, which gives everything harmony. The point being that you can study the chashi as an artistic and meditative, creative practice. But you know, you're laying down a mat, which is the earth element, and then choosing the pot and the teas that you're going to drink that day, which is going to depend on the type of tea and the type of cups or bowls. And then you're determining, am I going to brew bowl tea or gung fu cha, which is with small pots and small cups? And tuning into what kind of tea do I want to drink? So as you know, I encourage people to drink tea seasonally. So different seasons, different teas are appropriate for different seasons. And I can say a bit more about that. And then I sit and I drink at least three cups or bowls in silence. There's something about listening to the kettle as it's beginning to come to a boil and paying attention to water. Water can be studied. So the size of the bubbles will tell you how hot the water is. You can hear the sound, which will tell you how hot the water is. Master Lin, who's one of our teachers in this tradition, would put his hand on the side of the kettle and tell you what the temperature of the water inside of it. You know, so that's a study of water. And again, getting back to this, it being a mindfulness practice, you have to really pay attention. And then sitting for three cups, you know, which is being attentive to, in Zen Buddhism, the practice of Zazen, which is seated meditation. In the book Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, Suzuki, who brought Zen Buddhism to the West, he talks about just the posture of seated meditation. So how to hold the hands in Dhyana Mudra and bring the back straight and tuck the chin and how to breathe. And he says, this is Zazen. That is the practice of meditation. There's not something esoteric about it. That's in Zen Buddhism, right? This practice of sitting up straight, bringing your attention to the tea and the teaware, to the water temperature and to the steeping and drinking three cups in silence not only does that invite you into a very mindful moment of waking up in the morning, but you're waking up in a way that's in harmony with nature. It's in harmony with 
the wood, fire, earth, metal, water, which are the five elements. It's in harmony with the process of change and transformation. So the water is changing. The tea is changing as it releases its flavors and aroma. As you're drinking the tea, you are changing because your body starts to, to change as you're drinking the tea. And the moment itself is changing, especially if you wake up early in the morning. I'm usually drinking tea as the sun's coming up. So you're drinking tea and observing as nature's changing. Really what you're doing is connecting with the idea of impermanence, impermanence of thought, impermanence of states of being, and letting go and coming into a space of calm awareness, which is the ideal state that tea will impart to one, which is to be calm and grounded and focused, but also aware and alert. It's just an incredibly wonderful way to start any day. Is that how you start your day most days? Yeah, every day. Every, every day. day. Do you, uh, um, besides that, besides your tea practice, do you have a meditation practice? Yeah. So I usually sit for 30 minutes to an hour, depending on how busy I am at that point in life. On the weekends, I would prefer, you know, do a longer tea practice. Do you mind telling us your morning routine? Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, sure. No problem. So I wake up. I put a kettle on and I set a chashi. There's also an idea. It's indicative of how lazy I am, basically, <laughs> is whether, whether or not I'm setting a new chashi every day and a new flower arrangement every day and picking out different types of incense and that kind of thing. But the ideal is there's a term in Japanese tea ceremony called ichigo ichi, which means one chance, one encounter. And that sort of defines the aesthetic and the feeling of a tea ceremony. What it means is, you know, we could all come together for a tea ceremony this afternoon and have the experience that we have, and we could do it again tomorrow and everybody eat the same food, do the same time, drink the same tea, etc. And so the idea with setting a new chashi every day is that you're arriving to a new moment, a new experience. So ideally, you would set a fresh chashi every morning. You know, it doesn't have to be complex. It might just be, it could be very simple, leaves in a bowl in a mat. That's it. And while the water's heating, that's where I set the chashi. I splash some water in my face to wake up a little bit. And then I sit and, you know, like I said, I'm drinking teas seasonally. So right now we're, we're drifting into winter. So I'm getting more into aged pu'er teas or show pu'er, which are very dark, earthy grounding teas, aged oolong teas, and occasionally some red teas, but more earthy, dark, kidney-supporting nourishing wintertime teas. It's a little different for me because I have a tea company, right? So I'm always drinking different types of teas and my tea life is probably a little more involved than the average person because it's what I'm doing 24 hours a day, right? Yeah, and um, you, have, you have an amazing table. Oh my God. And so you get, you're really, it's great because you can set all that up and sit on the floor and prepare for your tea. My house looks more like a tea house than it does like a... Uh, person's residential <laughs> home. So I sit and I drink three cups or bowls in silence, oftentimes more. It depends how much time I have. I usually try to do like either three or seven because there's a Taoist significance for that. And then from that, I will go into meditation. And my meditation practice is, is 30 minutes to an hour, again, depending on how much time I have. It's kind of an amalgamation of Vipassana meditation, which I know you're familiar with, mm -hmm. but it's a Buddhist uh, seated meditation. And I also practice a, a Taoist form of meditation that deals with the microcosmic orbit as well as the macrocosmic orbit. So you could say it's like working with uh, Shishumna and then with the meridian system. And so it's basically tracking or tracing sensation through the body and then in cultivating uh, Anicca, which is impermanence, non-attachment. And as we like to say, the body doesn't time travel. So by anchoring one's awareness or attention in the body, you're planted firmly in the present moment. And then I come out of meditation, 30 minutes to an hour into movement. While I was warmer here in Telluride, I was getting out to nature because I've got two puppies, which sort of forces me out into nature, uh, gratefully. But ideally, it would be a form of yoga or tai chi or qigong practice. But you just um, said uh, taking your dogs out on a walk in nature, right? Yeah. I take them running, but as it gets colder, I'll shift more into indoor practices. So yoga, tai chi, or qigong, and then breakfast. And then I start my day. 
I was making a green drink or something in the morning or sometimes working with Chinese herbs, something warming to the spleen and the digestive system. And then I try to get all that done and start a work day at nine. Got to get up early. <laughs> I got I to get, it's a, it's a busy morning around here, you know, yeah. for, for it being quiet. It's still quite a lot mm. happens. So, yeah. <laughs> Calling your tea house, you just spoke about your living, your house being like a tea house. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. Well, you know, the, the foundation of a tea house is creating space for tea. It's, well, it's I know you simple. have one coming up in Telluride, so maybe we can come visit. Yeah, that would be amazing. We're in a, quite a process here. But what's nice about creating a space for tea is that If you create a space, you know, Joseph Campbell talks a lot about this in his books, his wonderful interviews with Bill Moyers, where he talks about the importance of creating a space in your home that's dedicated to one thing. And whatever that might be, whether it's a place you go to write or a place you go to play music or to paint or whatever, but a place that is set aside, a space just for the one thing that you do there. And so for me, that's As you know, I have a big table and I keep an infrared burner and kettles and all my teaware in one place. It naturally, it sort of creates a gravitational magnetic pull over time where when I have free time, I'm going to go there and study tea practice and continue to deepen and cultivate my relationship to tea. And I think if we create space for that, Whatever it is, whatever it is we're trying to cultivate, if you create space for it in your life and time for it, then it will naturally start to evolve and your relationship will start to deepen over time. That's a big part of this tea house we're creating here. We're creating a space for people to come and we're going to be brewing some really good tea. And the rest of it, you know, the aesthetic, I appreciate aesthetics and art. A lot of that's informed from studying traditional tea houses in Asia. And so we're celebrating some underrepresented artists and my girlfriend's a painter. And so it's a place for art and tea, but it's also just a place for people to connect and step out of their ordinary lives. I think it's important, especially as our world is so full of clutter and so full of stimulation, every second of every day we're supposed to be doing something and stimulated by something. I think it's incredibly important to have a place or a time every day where you step out of all of that we're creating a place that's designed for you to step out of that. We won't have Wi-Fi in the building. The intention is really for people to connect with themselves and with one another. And then, of course, we'll be sharing workshops and classes on the different methodologies of brewing tea and what it means to live a life of tea. Yeah, that's very cool. So that's something that we can go have an experience if people go visit you and tell you, right, that's going to be opening soon. And that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's exciting. And then then for all of us who are not in Telluride every day, will you uh, tell us about your tea club? Yeah, sure. And your your um, company too, because some people might not know exactly what you offer with Living Tea. Yeah, absolutely. So the idea of Living Tea is I've searched for 10 years in various parts. I've gone to pretty remote regions of China and Taiwan. And throughout it, I've been seeking out these old forests of teas. And I've brought them back and I've also connected with a lot of different potters and ceramicists in different parts of the world who make teaware specifically. They're tea lovers. So they're making cups and teapots and things out of a refined understanding of what makes a really good cup of tea. And so there's nothing that I sell with living tea that I myself am not happy using every day. So that's kind of where I I have a commitment not to compromise on any of the tea or teaware. And I also sell medicinal herbs and some Chinese herbs and some tinctures and medicinal mushrooms and kind of a nice collection of the things that I've explored in my life and really found tremendous value in. And it was born out of a wish to just share those things with more people. And for me, it's all an extension of Chinese medicine. So, you know, I practice acupuncture and herbalism and whatnot. So the business and the sharing of these things is an extension of my practice as a doctor of Chinese medicine. I guess you could say the underlying ethos is the healing arts with living tea, but the focus is obviously on tea. This tea club is something I designed because I had so many people reaching out to me saying, you've got all these strange teas. I've never heard of half of them. 
I don't know how to brew them. I don't know, like, I've never heard of poor tea. What is aged tea? What are these medicinal mushrooms? What is all this? So I started this seasonal tea club to try to take some of the guesswork out. And so I curate some very special teas, usually three to five teas every season. And then I do a big write-up about the way of tea, what it means to observe nature during that season, and how we can create greater harmony, awareness, and connection, and greater health by aligning with the seasons. You do an amazing job of that because I've been very inspired by your write-ups with the tea club. Oh, thank you. And, and, you know, I also want to point out that this is very connected to Chinese medicine, which you are have a doctorate on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, a lot of it is how to moderate our lifestyle to match the season. Some people might think, well, isn't that kind of intuitive and obvious? But it's actually not so obvious because it's not something we really live by much at this point in history. And so a central principle is types of food and herbs and practices that allow us to align with the season. And I talk about the five energetic transformations of wood, fire, earth, metal, water, and how those changes produce cold, heat, dampness, dryness, wind, and these different things, these different aspects of the natural world that inform our health and our growth and our maturation and also our psycho-emotional states. And I connect all of that to spiritual cultivation. Then I connect all of that to these teas and how to prepare them and why these teas are connected to that season. So the basis of all of it is harmonizing us to nature, supporting us in both our relationships, but also in our spiritual cultivation. That's the basic idea of the seasonal tea club. That's beautiful. And you know, um, maybe I'll just piggyback on that and real quick, just tell you this, that Kristen, who had to hop out from the call, she uh, has a yoga studio in Pennsylvania. She also has a cafe. She'll be contacting you about this. But she said, listen, I hate to leave the call, but I love everything Colin is saying. And I already signed up for the tea club. And of course, I have to go back to Telluride, and uh, she's interested in talking to you about something for the cafe with the tea. So, very cool. Yeah, wonderful. Yay, that's awesome. Well, I know you mentioned some stuff, but I don't want to take too much of your time. Maybe you can, like, send us an article on on some of the fundamentals things that I can share, because I really want to try to put in maybe the types of teas that you guys sell, like oolong, shopware, green, and then also... You mentioned infrared, and I'm really interested about that, which is, I guess I was reading yesterday, uh, something that Woodall wrote was like infrared charcoal or a gas to boil the water. I mean, yeah. So if we're inspired by the skull or in the podcast, get your teas now. What do we do? So let me say a couple things about all that. One, most people, gas is what they have access to. You can start to experiment with charcoal, but that's quite a process and you need to have access to the outdoors because of carbon dioxide. So you heat the charcoal outside and then you bring it in, you put it in a brazier. And Most people aren't preparing tea on charcoal every day. So what I would recommend initially is use gas. If you only have electric burners or a stove at your house, you can buy butane camp stoves. And actually, I'm going to be selling some in about a month or so. Unfortunately, that's my case. So I'm like, whoa, what do I do? So yeah, I'm interested in when you have that product. Let yeah, I will. And again, you could still heat water in electric. It's just that it changes the way that it heats the water is it like agitates the molecule. With water, ideally, you're using spring water instead of tap water. Water can make a huge difference. And in this seasonal tea club, I talk a lot about water. Heating it on gas. Infrared, you and I can talk offline because those infrared burners I'll be getting more of them. The really nice ones are quite expensive, so it's usually a little outside of a lot of people's budget. But you don't need to overcomplicate things, right? So it's, I think it's to start simple with leaves in a bowl, and I recommend to people that they use large leaf red teas, ruby red or flight or gateway of spirit. Those are good red teas that I carry. And I just use three to five grams, like a small handful. It's usually about eight to 12 leaves. And I put them right in a bowl and then I bring the water for red teas just shy of a rolling boil. And I don't pour the water right on the leaves. I pour it at like a 45 degree angle into the side of the bowl so that the leaves will spin. 
And then you can usually brew four to five really nice steepings of tea in a bowl that way. And that's the beginning of a tea practice. It's quite simple. And then as you want to progress and get more complicated, the first thing people usually want is a side handle pot. And that allows you to explore other genres of tea that are different size leaves. Uh, from all tea, we usually evolve into gung fu cha, which is more skilled. It's a skilled discipline of, of trying to brew a really perfect bowl of tea. Two things I want to mention. One is you can go on Living Tea's blog. You can go back and read all of the seasonal tea clubs from past seasons. So for example, right now you could go and read last winter's. If you didn't want to order the seasonal tea club, all the information is available free there on the blog. And it talks about winter teas and how to cultivate a practice and what teas we drink in the winter. And then the June 2016 Global Tea Hut is also free online at Global Tea Hut. And they have a really wonderful article that talks about the difference between bowl tea and gung fu tea. So that gives you an idea of when you would want to brew bowl tea versus gung fu tea and what the difference is between those two. Okay, thank you. In the side handle, I think I probably have like three side handles that I order from you and I love them. The way I'm doing is I just take several steeps, right? Yeah. Leaves on the bottom and usually I'll fill it up four times or three times or five depending. Yeah, exactly. Of course, the amount of leaf you use will determine how many steepings you get out of it. But if you don't want to use too many leaves because it'll become bitter for a lot of teas. And the first steeping is a flash steeping that you pour into a bowl. You don't drink the first steeping. So it's a really quick steeping and you pour it off. And that's both symbolic and to clean the leaves and to awaken the leaves and to pour off any kind of like residue from the processing that might be there. And it's also it's symbolically kind of saying it's an acknowledgement of all the sacrifice and labor that went into producing that tea. With side handle tea, it's nice because, like I said, you can experiment with smaller leaf teas and different types of teas. Some teas you can brew 20 times and they'll still produce a robust liquor. Some teas like oolongs and green teas, usually after the sixth to tenth steeping, it starts to lose most of its flavor. So we have green tea, we have uh, whites, we have oolongs, we have the puers. Am I missing something? Shangen show puer. You got red tea, which is generally uh, more highly oxidized and best for the morning because it tends to be uplifting and invigorating and it. It's enlivening. So people like red tea in the morning, but not all of my red teas. Some of them are, are calming. It just depends if they're aged. Aged red teas tend to be kind of calming. And a type of tea called purple tea, which is a type of red tea. A lot of people like to start with purple tea because it's hard to mess up. It's a really unique tea. I mean, most people have obviously never had purple tea before. And then oolong, which is more floral and aromatic and uplifting and sweet. I usually, in the wintertime, I'll drink more heavily roasted, darker oolongs. And then Sho and Shung Pur. Pur tea is a fermented tea. If you want to learn more about the difference between those two, I'd recommend just reading about them on the website. And then we have black tea. And then green and white teas, which I kind of am putting them together, but they're lighter teas. They're light and sweet and delicate and fragile. And those teas, generally, people like to drink more when it's warmer outside. Okay. We tend to drink more lighter, floral, aromatic, kind of ethereal, lighter teas as it's hotter out. This is a general rule of thumb, but in the wintertime, we tend more towards the dark, earthy, robust, grounding teas that are more supportive to digesting heavier meals. Yeah, and the website for everyone to go check it out, it's livingtea.net. I'll include that on our notes. Also, each one has a different chi, meaning, you know, in yoga, we call it like prana, life force, like you guys, chi, right? Chi. So you feel that besides anything else, like smell it before you drink it, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, the aroma, especially of oolong teas is something that's really treasured. Oolong teas in particular have such an incredible, vast variety of different types of aromas and floral aromas. And a lot of the energy of oolong is in the aroma. It enters into the nasal cavity and travels up the head and down the back. Whereas poor tea, energetically, when we drink it, it travels down directly into the stomach and the gut and kidneys, which is why it's a more grounding, kind of earthy tea. It connects you more with the forest floor as opposed to the canopy. I recommend engaging tea with all six senses, which is part of why it's also a mindfulness practice, because 
there's aroma and flavor in listening to the sound of the kettle and all the sound, the music of the tea ceremony. Of course, the way it feels throughout the body, the different types of chi or energy of the different teas. And of course, the beauty of teaware, it's a study in nuance and subtlety and different types of teapots and little paintings on the sides of cups. I mean, all of the really well-made teaware is incredibly beautiful. So it's a study of using all the senses and also a mindfulness practice. Yeah, it's a form of meditation in a way. Yeah, instead of negating the senses, it's using the senses as a mindfulness practice. Mm-hmm. So in terms of tea ceremonies, it's more of a gathering when you have a group. Yeah, that's why I recommend reading that wonderful article on gung fu tea versus bowl tea. Because bowl tea is really more about letting go of qualitative minds. Bowl tea is not about brewing the perfect cup of tea. It's about simplicity and meditation and sacred space. And it's about equanimity and it's about connecting with people. So it's more ceremonial in that sense. It's a meditation. Whereas gung fu tea with the small pots and small cups, that's really about precision, sensitivity, and awareness. And it's about really trying to brew the perfect cup of tea. It's about technical skill. And so that's what's wonderful that we have these two different methods because one is about technicality and skill and attention to brewing a good cup of tea. And the other one's more about just a gathering and meditation and connecting. We have both sides of tea. That's amazing. For us that are inspired by everything that you've been saying, by the life and the way of tea, how, if we want to start a group, I'm sure you've gotten this question before in different communities. What do you recommend? Is there anything you recommend like for coming together as a community? Yeah. I mean, are you, is everybody going to be in different places or are you going to be um, in one place? Some of us, there's a bunch of us in this call in New Orleans area. And I feel like we're all enough that we've now kind of ordered the teas that we could maybe, and even if I'm not there, just saying, how can they do it too? Yeah. Well, so what I would say first, like anything you want to learn, like I was saying earlier, you have to create space for it. So I would say starting your own practice. You know, people generally, people want specific rules for like what temperature water and how long do I steep for this particular tea and what type of tea wear. And I say to them, there's definitely a place for all that. You know, my first two years brewing tea, I had like a little turkey thermometer that could fit through the hole in my kettle. So I was like, okay, how does this tea different at 200 degrees versus 180 degrees? I was like a tea geek, you know, <laughs> like trying to find all the minutiae, right? And like, how is this bowl different than this bowl and this cup and that pot? And this, I really was studying tea the way that you would study formal discipline. There's a place for that. And I think if you find yourself really excited about tea, you can definitely start going down that path of almost like a scientific study. But A scientific study devoid of connecting with the spirit and the general ethos and the fact that these are old trees and connecting with nature and the meditation of tea, that will lead to just tea snobbery and pretentiousness. And there's a lot of that in the tea world. Whereas if you start your tea journey with bold tea and it's very simple and it's about modesty and connection and meditation and allow the technical skills to develop out of that, then you don't run that risk. I say that because a good way to start is to get a collection of nice tea bowls that are only used for tea and a nice mat, some large leaf tea, and start drinking tea yourself every day. It doesn't matter if you get it from me or somewhere else, but it has to be organic and it should be loose leaf tea. And start inviting people. Once you feel some competency with water temperature and you're really familiar with one or two teas, start inviting people once a week or whatever, and have a nice tea meditation. And maybe you set it for six bowls so that people can put their minds down and not be worried about like, how long are we going to be here? How much tea are we drinking? Whatever. Have a meditation around it and maybe study that genre of tea. So maybe just try to learn more about red teas and try different types of red tea and bring people together once a week. I mean, that's how I started my practice 10 years ago. And It's evolved considerably. So now I can have a very technical tea session with people. They won't notice a lot of what's going on, but they'll appreciate the quality of the tea. I wouldn't be where I am now if I didn't start for a long time, just with simple steps. I love what you're saying, because especially 
a bunch of us here are teachers and yoga teachers or even other teachers. And it's like, you can facilitate that and you can introduce other people to the practice and having a meditation around that. And I think some nice teaware and tea bowls and it's just such a beautiful thing. It's, it's just yeah. such a gift to the community. Yeah, it is. It really is. I suggest to people that they do it for free because we don't have many practices in our lives that we give away. And there's a real power in giving things away that can make it a transformative practice. Or if you feel like you've developed some aptitude and you've studied enough to feel competent to host tea gatherings, make it donation-based and have it an optional thing. I mean, that's really my encouragement. You know, I think we're all teachers and we're all students at the same time. If you even study one tea and get to know it well and how to brew it well, and you can share that with people, you are teaching them. And the best way to learn about tea is to host tea ceremonies and people start asking you questions. And then you go and study and learn the answer to those questions. Because then it's a really organic learning process instead of it being really formulaic. Yeah, I love that. So I just got this question. Can you ask Colin about some book recommendations related to tea ceremony? Yeah, I mean, the first two were I would certainly, well, I'll, I'll recommend three books to start. One is called The Book of Tea, and that's by Kakuzo Okakura. And he's a Japanese tea master. I think he died in the 1930s, maybe. And it's incredibly beautifully written. It's incredibly deep, but it's easy to read. It's very profound, but it's written simplistically. And it talks about all sorts of different aspects of tea. It's not a long book, but it's just a really wonderful read. I might have that available on the website. I'll look here. Or if I don't, I'm sure you can find it. Oh, I do. Yeah, I have some copies of the Book of Tea. The second book I would recommend is The Way of Tea, which is Wuda's book. And the third recommendation is The Tea Girl of Hummingbird Lane, which was written about a year and a half, two years ago by a woman, Lisa C. And it's a beautiful exploration of life in Yunnan. Talks a lot about poor tea and the different tribes. It gives a really authentic glimpse into the world of tea from the perspective of somebody living in that region. Those three are a really great way to start. So The Book of Tea by Okakura Kakuzo, The Way of Tea by Wuda by Aaron Fisher, The Tea Girl of Hummingbird Lane by Lisa C. Thank you. Well, Colin, you gave us a lot today, and I really want to thank you for your time. I know you've been really busy getting the tea house ready in Telluride, which I'm really looking forward to. Might have to make a special trip to go visit. Maybe some of us on the call can join. Is there anything you want to add before I release you? (laughs) I'm going to put one last thing out there, which is... You know, we're building this tea house up here. It's the realization of a dream I've had for 10 years. I had a little tea house in Venice back in 2010. We've got a space here, architects and engineers and building permits. And it's a 110-year-old building, so we've got to make structural changes to the building. And the renovation is about $100,000 to build this tea house. We've raised about 65000 so we're getting there. But We could really use all the help we can get because we can't complete the project really until we complete funding. One thing that would be incredibly helpful and a nice way for the people on this call to start a tea practice is if you go to the Living Tea website and you click on Mountain Gate Tea House, we created a raffle and we're giving away the entire Living Tea collection. So all our tea and teaware to whoever wins the raffle. And there's a wonderful video there explaining this project and the tea house. And if anybody wanted to join the raffle, that's a really wonderful way to support it. And you very well may win quite a bit of tea and teaware, which is a great way to start your practice too. So I just wanted to put that out there. If anybody wants to join, uh, we certainly appreciate all the help. That's amazing that you're giving away the whole collection. I'm definitely going to go buy a raffle. I think that's really cool. And what I'll do is I'll include that for the podcast. I'll include this on the show notes, the link to this okay, what you're awesome. talking about so yeah, that we can thank you donate. So much. Honestly, also get teas from livingtea.net. It's just the best. And the bowls, I have tea bowls from you. I have side handles. I mean, I use it every day. It's, it's enhanced my life so much. So really, I appreciate everything you're doing. Thank you. I say this, it's probably not necessary, but if I could, I would give tea and tea away and teachings for free every day because I've, it's been such an incredible gift in my life. 
And it's been the foundation of a mindfulness practice that has supported me tremendously. So to the extent that you support Living Tea, you're really paying it forward so that I can continue doing what I'm doing and continue sharing this with more people. So I really appreciate it. Well, and it's so cool that not only you have the online thing going on, which that could be enough, but obviously, you know, you're even creating this sacred space in Telluride to further educate people and share. So it just goes to show. So it's really cool. Yeah, I think the, the digital space, while it's wonderful, it's also limited because there's something about being with people in person, of course. Thanks for listening, you guys. I hope you so enjoyed this episode with Colin Hooden and that you are inspired to begin your own tea practice. Join us with a bowl of tea. Check out livingtea.net. Join Colin's Seasonal Tea Club. Get the raffle. Go on our show notes. Click on that link, and you'll have the chance to win the entire collection. And also grab my book, Living Life in Light, and flip the pages, see what you get, be inspired, inspire others, Keep on being you. Keep on doing amazing things in the world. Know that you matter. And I am so excited to have you as part of our community and to see the community growing. So wherever you are, whatever you're doing, have an amazing day. Love and light. Love and light.